0: Welcome back to Empathy Always Wins. My name is Ali Salema, and today I'll be your guest for the world's exclusive youth leadership podcast on empathy and community building. Today, we have an exciting guest by the name of Leanne Davey. But before we get into Leanne's bio, sometimes reaching out to a New York Times bestseller is just one email away. We'll be giving out all our tips and tricks and strategies on how you can best leverage and harness the power of your community in our weekly Changemakers Leadership Guide. And now you can get a hold of that by signing up to the link in the show notes below. Now, without further ado, here is a little bit about Leanne Davy. For the past 25 years, Leanne has researched and advised teams on how to achieve high performance, Known as the teamwork doctor, she's worked with teams from the front line to the boardroom, across a variety of industries and around the globe from Boston to Bangkok. In working with hundreds of teams, including 26 global Fortune 500 companies and counting, she has developed a unique perspective on the challenges that teams face and how to solve them. Beyond her work in the boardroom, Leanne is a New York Times bestselling author of You First. Inspire your team to grow up, get along, and get stuff done. She is also a regular contributor to the Harvard Business Review and has been sought by several media outlets including CNN, NPR, USA Today, The Global Mail, and Forbes for her expertise on increasing productivity, enhancing engagement, developing leaders, and as one client put it, dealing with the damn drama. As a keynote speaker, Liane has spoken in for audiences as big as 2,000 and as intimate as 20. Regardless of the size, she delivers the perfect combination of education and entertainment that leaders and team need to get unstuck and make an impact on their organizations. But just as a quick heads up, before we start the show, Liane was one of the coolest damn people we have spoken to. So get ready to be entertained yet educated at the same time and don't ask me how that could happen because our educational system doesn't actually stand for those values but that is why we are on empathy always wins so without further ado let's dive deep into it this episode is brought to you by empowering media empowering media is a canadian boutique social media agency delivering results to purpose-driven change makers and social enterprises in our global community hashtag create to empower to join the movement
1: I kept finding that people were waiting for everybody else to fix their team. So either, you know, my boss is a jerk, and as long as I work for this jerky boss, there's no hope, or um, this woman on my team, she's horrible, and it's all her fault, and I got really frustrated that people didn't see themselves in, uh, in what contributed to the problem of the team, nor did they see themselves as having an opportunity to change their teams for the better. So I wrote a book about teamwork called You First because I, I know from experience that any person can change a team from any seat at the table. And that's the promise to somebody who reads the book, mm-hmm. that even if your boss is lousy, even if your coworkers don't want to go along, there are things you can do in changing your behavior that will change your team. So it's a very empowering message. So some people see it as empowering. Others uh, don't want to rise to the responsibility and they just want to wait for everybody else to make their lives better. So the book really ends with this idea that you get the team you deserve. So if you're willing to put in the hard work to challenge your own assumptions, to have hard conversations, then your team is going to get stronger and stronger, and it's going to be a great team that you deserve. If you are unwilling to do some of the things that are uncomfortable, you too will get the team you deserve. (laughs) You just won't like it.
0: It's a double-edged sword. Yes, it is. I, however, did read the Good Fight, and I spent a good chunk of time um, on on on. I think a a coin a, a word you've coined. I think it's conflict yeah. like debt. Yeah. I, I, now we're now now we need to be dive into <laughs> like like the core concepts around conflict for our young yeah. audience because I think yeah. sometimes we get a little bit anxious and we're like, holy shit, like. Yeah, I'm in the situation. My boss isn't. I deserve a raise. I, I, I do. I've been doing this or that, and sometimes, especially for women in leadership positions, and yeah. I and I really emphasize that because some of the greatest people I've personally worked with are women. Um yeah. they do find that a little bit of a challenge, and, and and not to exclude men, of course, men do. But I'd love I'd love for you to touch uh, more into 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 how we can harness the power of conflict.
1: Yeah. So. So let me set up conflict debt. It comes from two things. One, organizations require conflict all day, every day. Setting priorities, fighting between different priorities, giving feedback to somebody about their work, advocating for yourself. All of this stuff uh, is conflict. It's it's the struggle between opposing needs and wants and demands. So there's conflict all the time. It's not negotiable. It just is. Uh, On the other hand as humans, we're biologically wired to get along with people who we consider to be in our in group or in our tribe. Um, And then we're socialized uh, as children to believe that conflict is not polite. um, It's not kind. And it's certainly not ladylike. That's why it's so much harder for women. Um, And so we get into this situation where there's all these conflicts coming at us and uh, we're avoiding them. And so, uh, I, I tell a story to help people understand a little bit about what conflict debt is. Um, when the 407 Highway was first built north of Toronto, it was this amazing, smooth new highway with nobody on it and you could get across the city in no time at all. And I thought, I'm going to take the 407. So exciting. And and I did. I took a short trip on the 407 and they take it. These take a photo of your license plate and then send you a bill in the mail. And so I got the bill in the mail for $7, my $7 trip on the 407, except I suck at dealing with bills that have to be paid by mail because first of all you have to find a check but like who even has a check anymore <laughs> and then you have to put it in the envelope and then you have to have a stamp those are even more bizarre than checks um, and then uh, you can't leave it sitting on your desk for many months um, you have to actually put it in a mailbox and so turned out that My little trip on the 407 was eventually settled by a collections agency. (laughs) Uh, And it cost me 135 bucks. Mm. And so that was $128 that I could have spent on a a really nice night out or something else. And that's what happens in conflict debt. We have a conversation that if we had it in the moment, if we had it um, just kindly and and politely and empathetically up front, it would cost us seven bucks, Mm. but we don't. We avoid it. We um, start to build animosity, resentment, mistrust. Uh, Eventually it causes us to miss a deadline at work or fail to do something we needed to do or blow up and yell in front of somebody in a meeting. And, And essentially we end up paying 135 bucks for a conversation that should have only cost seven, mm. and that's really what conflict debt is—it's that accumulation, that compounding interest on discussions and issues and, and difficult things that we need to work through, uh, that we we have to pay because we're avoiding them. Mm.
0: And, and how, so I, I know you mentioned, and I think that that was a very great analogy you mentioned on the, on the Highway 7. I think <laughs> the power of, uh, the power of expo- like how exponential um, problems can arise. And I think that doesn't just go for, 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 for just work environments, even between um, spouses.
1: Yes, yes. You know,
0: when you just start to pile up uh, BS and you're like, wait, 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 are you like, are you co- like, that was a month ago. What are you on about? Yeah. I, I thought we were over that and I
1: Right. I- and it's super dangerous because uh, our brains are not neutral processors. So, um, if you think about think about getting an email from somebody on your team at work that you have had that issue with a month ago that where there is some mistrust, and you open the email and it says, you know, thanks for sending your draft presentation. I caught a couple of mistakes. I have some ideas for how to make it better and I'll come by your desk at three o'clock. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, is um, the way we read that depends on whether we think that person is a friend or a foe. And, and you can see that that's true. If you play the little thought experiment of imagining your best friend at work yeah. um, and get that best friend at work in your head and now imagine you get an email from them and the email says, I got the draft presentation, I caught a couple of mistakes, I have some ideas for how to make it better, and I'll come by at three o'clock. And then you Mm. immediately realize, I would have been so relieved that they caught the mistakes. And I'd be so flattered that they're interested in my work. And I'd be filling up the jelly beans in my candy bowl for (laughs) three o'clock when they come to visit. And that's when we realize that the narrator in our head is unreliable. Mm. So Uh, I always think about the narrator who reads my emails from people I like is like. Uh, David Attenborough on those Planet Earth documentaries. Hey, <laughs> oh, I've got a couple of mistakes, Leanne, and I've got some ideas for how to make it better. Oh, at three times. <laughs> And I'm always so excited. I'm like, oh, yay. But uh, the, the narrator of emails from people that I don't like tends to be Darth Vader. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> And so yeah. once we can understand that if we're holding a grudge with somebody, if we let it slide at $7 at the beginning of the month, Then every email, every interaction, every look that they give us all months long, Mm. we're going to, our narrator is going to read that in Darth Vader voice. Mm. And then we're going to believe we have more and more and more reason to hold a grudge. Um, And so it becomes a very vicious cycle. So the cost of conflict debt really compounds and multiplies because it affects how we interpret all the conversations we have after that. So if you're um, if you're in a situation with your girlfriend and, and there's a decision that you didn't like, you know maybe you had to go to a movie you didn't want to see, with some lame romantic chick flick crap, <laughs> um, and, and you're frustrated about that, then. Um, you know, how you think about her recommendation for dinner next week is already going to be clouded by like, we already did your thing last week and, mm. and it's not going to be starting from scratch. So it's so important to kind of pay off that conflict debt in cash, mm. <laughs> pay for your issues as you go, cut up that credit card. It's, uh, it's not doing you any favors. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, wh- h- like how does empathy come into play with conflict resolution?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it it is uh, the magic. It is the secret. If you have empathy, and I would say the practical way we demonstrate empathy is we make sure that we speak the other person's truth before we speak our own. Mm. And if you are able to uh, ask questions, listen carefully, read between the lines, and speak the other person's truth, first of all, they won't experience that as conflict. They'll experience you as an ally, not an adversary. Um, And if you do that, the other way the human brain works is that you are likely to trigger reciprocity where they will then be willing to hear you out and hear your version and hear your truth. So empathy is what allows us to stop and speak the other person's truth before we speak our own, which is what reframes conflict into problem-solving, Uh, makes you feel like an ally versus an adversary. So I teach empathy as the very, very first step in any good fight.
0: Wow. And I mean, you've probably done that quite, often what's one thing you could um, best uh, advise our, our listener out there if, if they if they per- perhaps are a little bit aggressive or they're they're too hot-headed sometimes and sort of need to take a step back before they uh, they take a decision that uh, that could cost them hundred thirty eight dollars
1: <laughs> yeah so uh, I I get really frustrated when, um, keynote speakers or authors or whatever expect people to be perfect. I actually think it's our moments of imperfection that give us the best chance to create trust and connection with other people. So if I say something or if you say something and I kind of jump down your throat and shove my truth down your throat before yours, um, that's okay. It's your chance to come back 20 minutes later and go, you know, I did not handle that the way I wanted to. Or I was so busy trying to make sure you heard me that I didn't hear you. Um, And and doing that, being willing to admit when you blow it is so good for Mm -hmm. building trust, um, creating a connection among you. So I would really tell your listeners don't be afraid of blowing it. We all blow it sometimes. Um, so the, the poor Kira gets all the stories about her, but she came home a couple of years ago and, and proclaimed, you know, I hate my music teacher. <laughs> and I'm, I'm trying to raise, you know, decent human beings here. I don't, <laughs> I don't like the word hate. And so I completely invalidated her. I just like, you don't hate your music teacher. And so that's a really important rule. Never ever, ever tell somebody what they think or what they feel.
0: I don't mean to cut this conversation, but I'd love to get you involved. Text our Q and a phone number now at plus one six four seven three seven zero two six six three. That's plus one six four seven three seven zero two six six three. Leanne and I will be answering all your questions as soon as we get them via text message. All right, let's hop back into our conversation.
1: So trying to tell somebody else, tell my daughter that she doesn't hate her music teacher is completely invalidating. Um, And so I blew it. So it's good because then I have the chance to go back and say, you know what? I was so busy worrying about you using the word hate and I don't like that word and it triggered a lot of things for me that I didn't take the time to actually listen to what's really going on. Um, So when you blow it, that's okay. Take it as your opportunity to go back and reaffirm that this matters to you to be willing to be vulnerable and to have a do-over and, and do-overs can be more impactful than if you'd even got it right the first time.
0: Does it even build a little bit more of a stronger bond of trust between yes you guys, right?
1: Absolutely, because a, a relationship where trust is only based on always getting things right is always susceptible to what if something goes wrong. Yes. There's always that niggling concern. A relationship where you've blown it and come back, just like why healthy. Um, Um, relationships with partners have conflict in them. That's fine because then you know, and you can trust that we can go somewhere difficult and we can recover from it. So yes, the trust with a teammate is much stronger when you know this is a, it's it's like, you know, it's like your friends, right? If you know, you can, you know, have at it and you're like dropped to the field and bashing on each other or whatever else. And then you can be like, Oh, let's go, let's go get a Slurpee. Um, (laughs) You know, if, once you know you can do that, that your friendships aren't fragile, uh, you have so much more confidence in them. So yes, it's absolutely fine at work to to blow it sometimes. Just make sure that after you blow it, that you come back and and admit as much. Yeah,
0: um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little bit of a sort of a, a shift in, in our direction uh, of the conversation. I, I want to touch base on on. Uh, how you're seeing things uh, become within C level executive leadership positions yeah um, from an empathetic and from an understanding standpoint i know you work with you, you've worked with pretty big names <laughs> out there such as walmart and amazon and, and and sony what trend are you seeing today for for youth like us or people that are now starting to enter the workforce what is starting to appear more prevalent than ever and what's promising out there
1: So, I think there's a lot that's promising. Uh, I do think these conversations, conversations about mental health, conversations about emotion in the workplace, conversations about empathy, there is much more of a place for them today than there ever has been before. Mm -hmm. So, that's very promising. What worries me at the C level is the short term orientation, the pressure, the urgency. And we know that the human brain works very differently when it perceives threat. And when I look in some of these boardrooms, I think some of these execs feel under siege almost all the time. Mm-hmm. And so they are not the best versions of themselves. They are not in empathetic mode. They are trying to protect themselves. They are trying to protect the organization. They are. Um, so that is a significant risk is how many uh how many people know they know how they want to behave they know what's optimal but mm. they they ain't it most days
0: it's funny because i'm just reading this book how to perform under pressure oh a cool instead of doing your best when it matters the most and it's by it's a new york times uh, it's it's henry yeah. Weins, uh, weisinger yeah. and um he literally says that he, i mean this book i mean the cover title is bait it's completely bait Uh, yeah it's all about how like the best performing athletes or best best high performers in the world um, have learned to become very confident and have treated pressure in a way that they have mastered um their psychology so it no longer feels like because when you are working under pressure you can't actually do your best work yeah you will stutter and you will not be in the state of flow than right. we are when typically musicians come up with their best lyrics and best for example yeah and i think yeah. that completely goes hand in hand with what you're saying with short-term results of c-level executives and yeah it is a worry that i think that um um i i do believe it over time it would change it will change but i think um, Probably some hits will have to be taken before people have to recognize the severity of that. Because uh, it's just it just is the way it is with the world.
1: Um, yeah, I think that's
0: true. All right, so we're gonna head into our last segment. Uh, uh, oh, actually our, I gotta our, our last, sit up straight. Uh, one last question. One last question. I wanna touch on emotional intelligence with you yeah. because I know you are someone. Uh, I feel like I've known you forever. For some <laughs> I feel like. You're someone that is uh, highly approachable and uh, it's been sometimes difficult for some guests when I have them. And, you know, we spoke about that beforehand. <laughs> you have a very, very, very warm energy. I'm an open
1: book, Ali.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it. And uh, that's why I wanted to touch on emotional intelligence Yeah. Um, with you. How, how how important is it for us to, to muster that and uh, to be prepared for tomorrow's business landscape?
1: Yeah, I think it's incredibly important. Um, you know, one topic that comes up in this emotional uh, intelligence space a lot is vulnerability. Brene Brown has oh, yeah. oh, she's yeah. she's my girl crush. Let's be clear, um, everyone's girl crush. Someday I hope to meet her. <laughs> um, so uh, I just want to add one thing to vulnerability for the workplace. So. Sometimes I've seen vulnerability in the workplace in a way that it doesn't work, Mm. Um, in a way that it makes people's uh, colleagues very uncomfortable. It causes people to lose confidence. So uh, I want to encourage your listeners to think about vulnerability in combination with accountability. So this is like the Reese peanut butter cup of awesomeness. So the chocolate, <laughs> the chocolate is uh, vulnerability, but the peanut butter is accountability. So um, to me, emotional intelligence is when you can put those two together. So I can understand and be self-aware about things that I'm struggling with, but I don't use that as an excuse to push accountability to someone else or mm-hmm. to you know slack off or to let my teammates down. But instead, I. I I hold ownership of the things that are mine and I seek help and support where I need it. And so for me, when you can put vulnerability together with accountability, because we see some people who are accountable and not vulnerable and they repel human beings, you know, nobody is cheering for them. No one has their back. They just, they're, Yeah, it's too much. It's too, like, okay, you seem like you're good, like, whatever, carry on. Um, And we see people who are vulnerable without being accountable, and they lose the confidence of the pack. Um, But when we have these two things together, this is the future of leadership for me. The ability to uh, maintain accountability while demonstrating vulnerability oh it's just it's the best
0: i, think I just quoted that uh, i just quoted <laughs> that. um i kid you not you know we gonna be making actual real content out of this material all right i think this is super super freaking cool and i feel like um you know i'm a very very like jittery guy i think all our generation like our generation we can't yeah. sit on a freaking chair for more than an hour so when i yeah when i get this stuff Woohoo, like, that's Ooh. a really good
1: quote that's electricity <laughs>
0: Love it. So thank you so much. All right. Now we're gonna go okay. the fireball Whew, Making me That's nervous. A, I'm gonna show everybody how segment.
1: uncool I am. Okay, go ahead.
0: <laughs> That's a one minute segment. I'm just okay. gonna be firing questions. Please okay. answer as quickly as you can. Oh goodness. This is, um, this is it's gonna it's gonna pass real quick. So I'm just gonna adjust my timer to one minute. And are you ready, Leanne?
1: I'm ready.
0: All right, let's go. Who's your favorite athlete?
1: Athlete. Um, Christine Sinclair. Favorite color? Uh, Green.
0: Favorite genre of music?
1: Oh, folk.
0: A song that best describes your life?
1: Uh... (laughs) What's the the one about life being beautiful, life being wonderful? Uh, I can't remember. Biggest role
0: model. Biggest role model. Uh, Brene Brown. I knew that. Favorite book?
1: Um, Fermat's Enigma.
0: If you could be one thing in the world, what would you be? Me. I love that. Favorite quote?
1: Oh, um, oh, rapid fire favorite quote. That's brutal. Um, oh, I liked a lot of Churchill quotes. So this is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end, but it is the end of the beginning.
0: I love that. <laughs> favorite movie? Love Actually. Uh, this is it. <laughs> my timer just went off. I could go on with you for like <laughs> ages. I think if we didn't I think if think if uh, if we didn't uh, make this a fair advantage for for, 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 <laughs> for all my <laughs> listeners, I would definitely. But I think I think me, we're gonna have a really good relationship.
1: Uh, yes, absolutely. That is clear already.
0: Yeah. So okay, we're gonna dive into the reflection segment. Okay. Right now, um, if you could go back in time to the fifteen year old um, leanne what's one yep. thing you would tell her one thing oh
1: that fifteen year old dork who couldn't get a date for the prom I would tell her you know nerds will inherit the earth, honey, just you wait
0: oh, oh I love that I feel because here's the thing I actually feel the same i uh, found it very hard growing up as well and i uh, that's that's essentially why i I, I became very mentally Ill when I actually had to admit that, because I I was I became very obsessed with the gym um, yeah. after leaving professional swimming after quitting my career um, when I when I moved to Toronto by myself uh, when I was seventeen and I, I found it very hard very hard and I didn't know I was that nerdy sort of lonely guy because I only yeah. had three friends at school and we were like we were only friends because we were on the on the soccer squad the a the a team soccer squad but outside of school I couldn't make and I didn't. Have that skill set, and um, I, I, I I truly believe that sometimes people that are so curious that are so full of life can find it harder to connect with people just because this fitting in mentality that we all have with social media i mean we have such an inherent need to fit in yeah sometimes I, I feel like if it just was what you were saying tell that nerdy um, <laughs> fifteen year old that that, that they 're going to rule the world, I think yeah. that is. That is key because right now I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for the mental health struggle, being an ambassador, yeah. having a talk with you, and being on that level of I think intellect. I'm, I'm addicted to books. I mean, um, I, I think that this is something that I deeply resonate with, and it's not something that I um, that, that that I think of otherwise. So. I think Thank you so much for sharing that. I think
1: that, like, as I think about it, um, if you think about it kind of like a slingshot, so if you if you pull down to those lowest low moments, you know, I would tell my 15-year-old self, each of those will slingshot you to the next highest high moment, Um and if in that moment when you're feeling really low, you're realizing that, no, that's the rubber band pulling down <laughs> and, and hang on because you're about to, to slingshot forward. But that's what happens. You know, failing calculus and being a kid who'd always had the highest grades and, and failing and realizing that that was going to introduce me to my entire career, which I adore, and, you know, various other things in life where I've learned that, Really, I'm just the slingshot is getting set. Yeah,
0: and I think that it takes one second to hear from someone like yourself. Just hold on. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly very important. That's a very important message. And with just hold on, I'd like to act sh- like find someone you trust and always yeah. keep them by your side. The support yeah. system. I feel you so Your, your, The way you talk about your family, the way you talk. I mean, we haven't even touched on Craig, but we'll we'll not <laughs> touch on Craig for this conversation. Probably for us in the next conversation but the way you just, the energy that you know, radiates is, that says it all. And I feel that you know, sometimes you don't choose your family but you get to choose your friends and your friends yeah. can sometimes be family when you immigrate or when you take a very a sort of a, a different decision when you don't feel that your parents do understand you and you decide to go into acting because that's yeah. what you love and you move out to LA, I don't know, but you start to build your family. I think that is the energy that I would love our audience to understand that is true success. Yeah, um, so, okay. so true. The legacy question. Okay. In a hundred years time, Hmm. I mean, considering the, 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 the advancements in, in, in tech uh, for, for for the medical field, of course, we live a hundred we live for a hundred more years. Yeah. What would be the title of of a book that would essentially be your biography? What would what would you name the title and who would write your foreword? And I'll leave it there.
1: I would uh, I would call it some things are worth fighting for. And it it would just be about the things in my life that I realized were worth fighting for. Um, And, you know, it would probably have a chapter full of all the things that I thought were worth fighting for that worked, because that's just as important to figure out, right? What doesn't matter. Um, So uh, on my 148th birthday, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um I, I would like to know some clarity what is worth fighting for and what isn't
0: and as you're saying i'm actually writing down this 148th birthday i'm just as i'm writing 148 you can send me a card
1: i'm 148th birthday <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> um and i just want to say thank you this has been very 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 pleasant
1: Thank you. It, uh, what an amazing opportunity. And you are doing such important work. And uh, anytime I can be helpful in that, I would love to be.
0: Yeah, I'd, uh, I'll open the floor to you on, on, on this episode of Empathy Always Wins. Feel free to say, say, say any final remarks to, to our listeners before.
1: Oh, I just, I think if we go back to this, some things are worth fighting for. I would tell your listeners that they are worth fighting for. Um, Know what matters to you. Know what's important. Know what you deserve and fight for it. Um, Ignore all the voices in your head telling you it's not professional. It's not polite. It's not ladylike. um, Because if you don't fight for yourself, no one's going to fight for you. And you are definitely worth fighting for.
0: Thank you, Leanne Davey, thank you.
1: My pleasure, thanks, Sally.
0: What a warm conversation with Leanne Davey. Q and A's are open at the text messaging number you can find on our show notes below. But also, please remember that we are starting, as of this week, rolling out our Change Makers Leadership Guide with the sole purpose of building stronger intimate and more powerful communities to empower our youth global community and yes that would be all of us because we need to harness our collective knowledge and make sure that together we can build our future harnessing the power of our digital era that's it from us at this week's episode of empathy always wins My name is Ali Salama, and I'm the Middle East's mental health ambassador with the sole purpose of bringing better quality lives to our communities. We'll see you next week on yet a new episode of Empathy Always Wins.